Welcome to Southwinds Church Online. We're so glad you've joined us. And welcome to week two of Shelter, our new teaching series where we're learning together some lessons God is teaching all of us as we go through this season of sheltering in place. Last week, we saw that the foundational truth we need right now is to live in the reality that God is our only true shelter. You know, just because we're socially distancing doesn't mean we spiritually distance. In fact, this is a great chance for us to all draw closer to Christ together. And I hope you're investing and leveraging this time to grow spiritually. Let's not waste our quarantine. This should be a time to love God and people like we've never before. I want to encourage you today with a message called Shelter in Peace. Today, we're going to look at what is one of the most pressing everyday issues we all face. That's anxiety. And today, there are so many things to worry about. We, we worry about whether we or someone we love will get sick. We worry about our jobs, about the economy. We, we worry about our kids. We worry about our marriages. Uh, we worry if life will ever get back to normal. And there's so much uncertainty right now, and that causes anxiety. You know, think about it. In a time like this, it's not just a virus that spreads. So do stress and fear and anxiety. And God doesn't want us to live under the weight of worry. See, even though we don't know how much longer we'll be sheltering in place, you don't have to be a prisoner to anxiety in your home. You don't have to wake up every morning wondering what the bad news will be today. This week, I asked you for help with this message. I posted on Facebook and asked you to complete this sentence. During this season, I feel anxiety about, and you responded. Let me share some of those responses with you. Several moms said, I feel anxiety about being a wife, mom, and teacher while also needing to work during this time. We have several first responders and frontline healthcare professionals at Southwinds. One medical doctor said, I feel anxiety about my role as a doctor managing patients. And as a mom, am I putting my kid at risk? I've had several first responders share with me their concerns about exposure to the coronavirus. And one said, I feel anxiety about my husband and I being potentially exposed every day at work as frontline workers and about keeping my kids safe and healthy. Another mom said, I feel anxiety about the effect this is having on our children, especially the teenagers. And several people have told me, I feel anxiety about losing my job. And I know some of you have already lost yours and others have had their compensation significantly reduced. Several people wrote to say, I feel anxiety about our country, about the risks to our freedoms, about civil unrest, about our deepening political divide, about where we'll all be when this is all over. And I've also heard, I feel anxiety about being single and facing quarantine alone. Others in the Southwinds family have said, I feel anxious about my elderly parents. And I feel anxious because I'm lonely. And I feel anxious because I miss seeing my grandchildren. And some of you have said, I feel anxious about when we will get back to our new normal. When that happens, will COVID come back strong again? You can hear the pain, and these are all legitimate reasons for concern. So we need to be honest. There's a lot to be anxious about right now. You know what's got some of you worried? Some of you feel anxiety about feeling anxiety and you actually feel guilty about it because you think, you know, Christians are supposed to be exempt from worry, but I'm not. And maybe you grew up being taught that the Christian life is a life of peace and you say, I don't have peace. So maybe the problem is me. And that means you add another layer of guilt on top of your anxiety, which makes your worry even worse. So here's the question 
for all of us today. What should we do when we feel anxious? How can we shelter in peace while we're sheltering in place? I want you to first listen to Proverbs 12, 25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Now, how many of you would say that right now you're feeling weighed down? You know, today my hope is to give you a good word that makes you glad because the news isn't gonna give that to you. And I can't give that to you on my own, but I wanna tell you Jesus can and Jesus does. So I wanna encourage you with a good word from him. And we find that in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. You'll want to get your Bibles open um, and you'll want to be able to follow along and, and make notes. And if you haven't done it already, there's an outline you can download and print off at our website if you want. Let's read God's word together, beginning in Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, how can you shelter in peace while you shelter in place? There are three steps I want to point out that help us all grow in this often painful area of life. The first is identify my anxiety. Identify my anxiety. We can start by, by naming our anxieties. And in this passage, Jesus identifies the basic anxieties most people face. And we need to do that. Identify our anxieties. You need to write them down so that you can see them clearly and, and face them squarely. You know, if you're struggling with anxiety during this season, maybe more than usual, it would be so good for you to do this as soon as possible. Take time to get quiet. Ask the Lord to help you name them if you're not sure Ask your spouse or a close friend to help you with this if you can. Because anxiety is damaging some of us right now. It's always buzzing and vibrating, humming below the surface of your life, and you've not faced it. You haven't identified it, and so you can't deal with it. You need to name your anxieties. 1 Peter 5, 7 is a familiar verse about this. It says, cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And I just want to ask, how can we give our anxieties to God if we haven't named them? But identifying the anxiety is, is more than that. We need to understand what anxiety is and why we experience it and, and how it functions in our lives. I want to clarify this with a few observations you can write down. Here's the first. 
Uh, feeling fear or worry isn't the same as anxiety. See, the anxiety Jesus is talking about is more than the feelings of fear that enter our hearts whenever you face stress or danger. The American Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by, by feelings of tension and worried thoughts and physical changes like increased blood pressure. And enough anxiety, it can produce anxiety disorders, which are characterized by, and I quote, states of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, oftentimes with compulsive behavior or panic attacks. This is the kind of thing you feel when you hear me say, you know, this shutdown could last several more weeks. See, what we're talking about here is more than just a concern for the future because a certain level of concern about important things is normal. It's even healthy. You know, fear has a purpose. It alerts us to danger and calls us to action. You know, if you lose your job or your spouse is drifting away or your kids are making horrible choices or the, the doctor gives you a life-threatening diagnosis, Jesus doesn't expect you to react with a yawn and a shrug. Worry is normal in those moments. So it's very natural right now for us to be concerned about our kids or our neighbors getting the virus. It's natural to have concerns about the economy and our jobs. In fact, even the Apostle Paul talks in some of his letters about feeling anxious regarding his churches. And so there are some kinds of anxiety and concerns that are natural and normal. But the anxiety Jesus talks about, this happens when we don't respond appropriately to those concerns. The Greek word Jesus uses in this text means to distract and divide. Anxiety distracts us from living. It divides our thoughts, our energy, our focus. Say anxiety happens when we don't recognize God in our fears, when we try to control life, when we, we dwell on our fears and then they, they start growing and building in us. And the truth is, some of you know this, many people live with this, this kind of buzzing in their brain every day, all the time. Now, I want to give one quick caveat. I know there can be a lot more going on when you experience anxiety besides just concern for the future. For some of us, current medical challenges or maybe past traumatic, traumatic experiences can contribute to this. And, and I am not trying to reduce all anxiety problems to just spiritual issues. There may be psychological problems or past trauma involved. And I do want to say, if that's involved for you, then counseling and therapy and medication may be precisely what's needed. And you shouldn't feel as if your struggles with anxiety mean you're a second-class Christ follower. Jesus here is addressing a different kind of issue, and he makes it very clear what he thinks. And that's the second observation, and we need to face it. It's this, Jesus commands us not to be anxious. Did you see that? Three times in this passage, Jesus says, do not worry. One time he asks us, why do you worry? I mean, just look at these verses. Do you get the idea that, that Jesus doesn't want us to worry? I want to be very careful and precise on this so I'm not misunderstood. With the exclamation that I just gave in mind, the reality is that the kind of anxiety Jesus talks about here is, is sin. It's disobedience. He tells us to do something and we don't do it. He tells us not to do something and we do it. There's something about it that is contrary to God's will for our lives and we must take it seriously. And so I have an honest question for you. When you think of sins, 
Does anxiety make your list? If you're not really sure about that, here's another question. How many times does God need to say do not before something is sin? Because God says do not worry scores of times in the Bible. Here's one quick example. Psalm 37, 8 says, do not fret. It leads only to evil. In other words, anxiety has no redeeming qualities. It leads only to evil. And and a lot of us often talk about it like it's a personality quirk. In fact, some people even sort of brag about it. I'm just a worrier. Some of you even see it as kind of a character virtue. And some of us, well, we've just kind of settled in with it. We worry. That's the way it is. We don't think there's anything we can do about it. But I want to tell you today, anxiety hurts you. It hurts others. And again, recognizing there can be complexities involved, maybe times when there are medical issues. We see that. But in most situations that most of us face at the root of anxiety are issues of sin. And so what are those issues? I think understanding these are key to identifying my anxiety. You know, when Jesus says in verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, he's, he's summing up everything else he said because anxiety is always about the future, about what might happen. And you can write this down. Anxiety is the desire to control what we can't control. That's the heart of anxiety. We want control where there's no possibility of control. It's out of our control. So we worry, we get anxious. Listen to what David Pallison says. Worry assumes the possibility of control over the uncontrollable. The illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Anxiety and control are two sides of one coin. Since we can't control it, we worry about it. And that leads to something else I need to identify about my anxiety. Because I like to think I'm in control. You can write this down. Anxiety uncovers the illusion and shows me I've never been in control. See, Jesus says, isn't life more than food and drink? He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And what he's really saying is this, listen. He's saying, listen, who's been keeping your life going all these years anyway? Why are you worried about it now? Put it this way, when the doctor comes in with bad news or the boss comes in with bad news or or you turn on the news and it's bad news, See, suddenly we get anxious because we feel out of control, but the threat only reveals the illusion we've been living under all these years. And it's your true condition, friend. You've always been out of control. You've always been vulnerable. You never have been keeping your own life going. And so that means this, anxiety ultimately comes because I'm not trusting in God's ultimate control. See, when Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, he is putting his finger on the pulsing beat of our anxiety. It's unbelief. Jesus says that we're anxious because we disbelieve and we dislike the fact that we are totally dependent on the power of God because we're not accepting his lordship over our life circumstances. We need to identify our anxiety, what it's about, and we need to accept that Jesus commands us not to be anxious. But this is also critical to see. Jesus does not give this command like, you know, a drill sergeant would. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but just telling someone not to to worry rarely works. And so Jesus is not coming to you today and saying, suck it up. Why are you anxious? Stop it. Cut it out. Don't worry. Just be happy. Jesus actually never does anything like that. Instead, 
if you look carefully, you'll see that he comes alongside us and it's more like a friend. He talks with us, he, he reasons with us and he wants us to identify what anxiety is and, and more specifically why we're anxious. It's like he's doing surgery And he says, anxiety is wrong. And if you'll sit still and let me do my surgery, if you'll listen to my teaching, I I can get it out of you. I can remove it. And so Jesus calls us to obedience here. Don't miss that. But at the same time, there's patience and kindness and there's mercy. Jesus says, let me show you how to get beneath the surface, how to get to the heart of your anxiety so I can deal with it. That takes us to the second step of growth, and you can write this down, I need to evaluate my anxiety. Jesus asks a very crucial question about anxiety in verse 27. He said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? So to to grow in this area, we have to take a hard look at what anxiety actually accomplishes in our lives. We have to evaluate its value. Again, remember Psalm 37, 8 says, do not fret it only leads to evil. How? Well, first, and you could write this down, anxiety is harmful. It's not just a minor inconvenience. It leads to evil. Well, how? Think about this. Anxiety first harms you. Came across interesting quote from a Johns Hopkins researcher. It was this. We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but it is a fact. You know, you've heard the phrase, she's worrying herself to death. Well, it's actually true. Jesus says it can't add a single hour to your life, but we know today scientifically that anxiety can take years off your life. Dr. Ed Hallowell taught at Harvard Medical School. He he wrote a best-selling book on worry, and he says this, worry can make you sick. It can cut down your enjoyment of life, and it can hamper your productivity, Toxic worry is bad for every system in your body. It increases the risk of heart attacks and strokes. It impairs digestion. It causes shortness of breath. It causes all kinds of musculoskeletal aches and pains, and it produces headaches and migraines. Anxiety harms you, and it also harms others. Do you know that anxiety is contagious like a disease? According to an article in the LA Times, researchers at Harvard and MIT have discovered that an individual's emotional state is linked to the emotional state of their friends. Get this, they found in their study that negative emotions are more contagious than positive emotions. In other words, you worry, and pretty soon all your friends are freaked out too. See, it leads to evil in so many ways. One study says that worry can even bring on tooth decay. A research on patients going through stressful times in their lives found they consistently had a higher rate of cavities. I mean, it's amazing how anxiety affects you. And that's why God says, don't do it. It really does damage your life, not just your peace of mind, your relationship, your health, your, your lifespan. It's bad. But most of all, most of all, anxiety is harmful to your relationship with God. See, because anxiety is unbelief, It distances you from God. You're not living in his love and care. And I have to ask, do you really want to give yourself to something this harmful? Second, anxiety wastes my time. It's a waste of life. It doesn't accomplish anything. Ed Welch, who has written extensively on anxiety, made this statement. It's so good. He said, anxiety is a false prophet. 
And what he means is that almost always what anxiety fear doesn't happen. And I've known some people who worried a lot who like this line. I mean, they use it all the time. Don't tell me worrying doesn't work because the things I worry about the most, they never happen. (laughs) Well, anxiety obscures reality. Many years ago, I read this, and it's a great picture of anxiety. If you've ever been in in the city, you can identify with with this. A, A dense fog that would cover city, seven city blocks, 100 feet deep, something that extensive, that much space. If you were to gather all that moisture of that fog, it would take less than one glass of water. All that fog, all that obscure vision, very little substance. And that is also the case with our worries. We, we just can't see life very well with all those worries. Well, here's the question. Have you evaluated your anxiety? Have you faced the truth that it only leads to evil? When you do that, you get ready for the third step, which is battle my anxiety. Battle my anxiety. You see, to overcome anxiety, I must fight against it. And again, again, Jesus never just says to us, suck it up. He, he essentially says in this passage that if you're full of anxiety, there are two things you're doing wrong. And therefore, he says, if you want to deal with anxiety in your life, there are two things you have to do right. Now, the two things you're doing wrong are wrong thinking and wrong priorities. And this is where the battle is. Let's look at wrong thinking. So first, I battle by changing my thinking. And if you look at this text again, you'll see that Jesus gives two illustrations. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, see how the lilies of the field grow. Now, don't miss this. What he's doing here again and again is he is telling us to think. Now, in the old King James Version, in the book of Luke, Jesus says, consider the ravens. He says, consider the lilies of the field. In our modern translations, it just says, look at or see. And I I think that consider is a better translation because the idea here is to ponder and to think, not just to look. Jesus says, if you're anxious, you're not thinking. Jesus says, do not be anxious, but consider this, consider that. Now, before I move on, do you see how critical this is? What do you think faith is? Some of you think faith is an absence of thinking. Some of you think faith is like just closing your eyes and jumping. You you think it's blind faith. Uh, You think faith is, is saying, well, it doesn't make any sense, but that doesn't matter. I just need faith. But is that how Jesus talks? No way. Jesus says faith is thinking. In fact, Jesus would tell you it's anxiety that's the absence of thinking. Let me ask you, where and when do you worry the most? You probably have a place and a time. Let's say it's at night, like it is for all of us, after you've gone to bed. You know, you're trying to go to sleep, but you can't. You're anxious. Well, what is happening? Do you know, have you ever stood outside that and and kind of analyzed it? And what's happening is this, when you're you're laying there, you are listening to your heart run off at the mouth. And that's what makes you scared. Because when your heart is scared, it it runs at the mouth the way we all do if we don't think before we speak. And so it's kind of like this, you're lying in bed and your heart is saying, oh, it's so bad, it's so bad, this is gonna be horrible. And what will I do? And how will I ever recover? And it's inside your head and it's always talking to you and it just will not shut up. And you'll hear, do you ever think you'll have real friends? Am I alone? 
And then you think maybe people don't like you because you haven't taken care of yourself. I mean, just look at your weight. Do you really think people will ever really like you? Some of you will think, do I ever, am I ever gonna get married? And, and who would want to marry me anyway? And then maybe you're thinking, will I ever have kids? And if I have kids, how will they turn out? Will I like them? Will they like me? Will they be healthy? Will they get jobs? What about my health? I have a friend dying of cancer. What if I have to go through that? Or what about Alzheimer's? My dad has Alzheimer's and maybe I already have Alzheimer's. What do I do about it? And then and you find yourself wondering, what was I saying? <laughs> See, when you do this, you're listening to your heart instead of talking to your heart. And listening to your heart is what Jesus says brings anxiety. Instead, we need to talk to our hearts and we need to tell our hearts, wait, stop, look at the facts, consider this, consider that. So you need to argue with your heart some of you. You need to talk to it because faith, faith is not just passing peaceful thoughts through your mind. Faith is not turning your mind off. Faith is a position of confidence, mindful confidence aimed at the world based on what God has said in his word. And I'm just telling you, if you don't believe that God has spoken in his word, there is absolutely no way for you to ever really deal with anxiety. Every other technique is just a Band-Aid. But if you understand that he spoke and then you use God's word to do battle, to change your thinking, then you can fight anxiety. Jesus gives you two arguments for changing your thinking the first argument, Jesus says, is to go to your word and see, go to his word and see that God is in charge. It's, we might call it the birds of the air argument. The second argument is that God is good. It's the grass of the field argument. Do you know how to use those two arguments with your heart? First, Jesus says, consider the birds. God's in charge of them. God gives them what they need. And he says, you don't have the power to add even one minute to your life. And he's telling you, God has all the power. God's in charge. God is sovereign. God is a God of providence. Do you know how to use that on your heart? Maybe you're asking, well, what's providence? It's a word that comes from the word provide. So think of it, providence. The doctrine of God's providence is that everything that happens to you in this world is part of God's plan in some way. And everything you have is part of God's provision. That's why Ephesians 1.11 says that everything is working out according to the counsel of his will. That's why Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good to those that love God. Jesus is telling you, there is absolutely no way that you can possibly deal with anxiety unless you believe that. When you worry, you are in that moment not believing that God is working everything out for the good of those who love him. And it's the moment you finally say that I am not in control and I'm gonna stop trying to be in control. I'm gonna stop demanding that God explain things to me. I'm gonna be willing to say, Lord, you know what's best. When that happens, that's when anxiety starts to melt away. Philippians 4, 6 tells us how that can happen. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And you see, that means, that means that when you ask God for something, you just thank him for it ahead of time, for whatever he's gonna send. You say, how can you do that? 
Well, it means you get a conviction in your heart that he would not give you anything that's wrong or anything that's bad. Why? Because he's my heavenly father. I want to ask you, how many of you, when you were a kid, find yourself thinking, you know, my parents are always trying to ruin my life. I mean, you thought that, right? We all did. Because they were always saying things like, stop swallowing those rocks or stop sticking that fork in the electrical outlet. You know, they they wouldn't let you eat ice cream for dinner. They made you take baths. They're ruining my life. (laughs) But you know, when you got older, you realized they were saving your life every day, right? The other thing that you have to do is to use this grass of the field argument. And this is a different argument. The first argument is about God's power, God's sovereignty. And you say, he's in control. Who else could I trust but him? But this argument is about God's love and and goodness. And Jesus makes this incredible contrast here. He contrasts Solomon, widely recognized as one of the richest men who ever lived. And if you go to the Old Testament, we have these incredible descriptions of all his possessions came across a website called lovemoney.com. I actually don't recommend it. It's all kinds of messed up. But they have an article where they took the description of everything Solomon owned and they calculated the modern day value of his wealth. And listen to this. They found that he had a net worth of $2 trillion. I mean, put that in perspective. The richest man in the world today is Jeff Bezos, owner of Amazon. I looked it up. He's worth today, around 140 billion. And so this means that Solomon was 14 times richer than the richest man in the world today, which is a very powerful way of saying Solomon could buy any clothes he wanted. I mean, making this comparison, Jesus wants to change your thinking. He wants you to ask, if God loves me this much, won't he take care of me? Therefore, why should I worry? I want you to look down again at verse 32 where Jesus says, your father knows what you need. See, that's where you get your heart and you start to argue God's love into your heart. And you do kind of like this. You say, listen, heart, listen, heart. You know he loves you more than you can ever imagine. You know he knows all the hairs on your head. He knows how many tears have run down your cheeks. He knows all that. And heart, listen, you know that if he did not spare his own son, how will he ever fail to give you everything else that you need? See, you begin to argue with yourself and you begin to realize as you do this, that anxiety, it's essentially like a daily text to God saying, God, I don't think you have my best interests in mind. Anxiety is essentially saying, Father, You emptied heaven of your greatest treasure. You executed your son voluntarily for me, but I'm not sure you really know the best way to arrange my week. And when you realize that you're saying that, you begin to realize that you are offending his love. And you begin to argue with your heart and tell your heart, he's my father. He knows what I need. The second thing that we need to use to consider is wrong priorities. So wrong thinking and wrong priorities. And so you can write this down. I battle by changing my priorities. Again, in verses 33 and 34, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, our anxieties 
always reveal our priorities. Think about it. Why do we worry? Well, we worry because we don't think we'll have enough of the things we think are most important. In other words, our priorities. But what if our priorities are wrong? You know, we get anxious about the things we're putting our hope in. And so Jesus says to conquer your anxieties, you have to put your hope in God and put your hope in God's kingdom. Well, what does that look like? Well, what it looks like is loving God and putting our ultimate hope in eternity. What it looks like is radically demonstrating love for our neighbors. Loving God, loving neighbors, that's seeking the kingdom first. And and we can't do that, friends. Listen, we can't do that when we're weighed down with worry, when we're focused on our priorities, when we're focused on ourselves. I think one important way for us to battle worry in these days is for us to be daily praying for and seeking out opportunities to serve other people. And maybe we, we can't serve in some of the ways we normally would. But, but are you getting outside of yourself enough these days to see opportunities? See, Jesus is saying that worry is always a problem with priorities because truthfully, if Jesus is at the center of your life, there will be no anxiety. But if your job, if your relationships, if your money, if anything else is in the center of your life, if anything else is more important than Jesus, you will be torn up with anxiety. Jesus says, put me first. Seek my kingdom first. Seek my righteousness first. Now, some of you are saying, you know, I'd like to, but, I, but I've never been able to believe. I mean, I wish, I wish I could, but I've never been able. I want you to listen to me. There are only two beliefs on which you can base your life, only two. Either you are competent to run your own life or God is. And that means when you say, I can't believe, that's not the real problem. Your real problem is that you refuse to doubt yourself. You think you're competent to run your own life. You're afraid to give your life to Christ because you think you're competent to run your own life. And I want to say to you, that is an act of absolutely blind faith. There is no evidence for it, and you know it. It's a leap against the evidence, and that's really why you're anxious. See, you're refusing to doubt yourself, and that's why you you can't believe. So don't tell me you can't believe in God, because what you really mean is I refuse to doubt myself, even though I have all the evidence I need to do that. I want to conclude this message with, with five steps on how to apply these principles that we've been talking about. And, and you really can take these with you in the, the days that are ahead. Let me just give them to you very quickly. Number one, give up control. Give up control. Where does worry come from? Most of us think it comes from our problems. I mean, from our kids and who I'm going to marry and will I have a job and will I have enough? We, we think that if all our problems went away, we wouldn't worry anymore. But we worry because we think we control our problems. And as we've said, control is this addictive illusion. And so the process of being free from anxiety starts with the idea, I am not in control. You know, when we we used to meet in person here at the church, I would often remind you, and I'm going to do that again one day soon, I'm praying. But I would often remind you, there is a God and it's not you. And then I would ask you to say amen. Right? And so I want to encourage you right now. Would you say amen about that, where you are? Just think about it. Can you control the economy? No. You can earn and invest and save, but at the end of the day, you can't control the economy. Can you control your kids? No. You may need to work, 
on disciplining them better or loving them uh, more effectively, but ultimately you can't control them. Can you control your job? I mean, there's a good chance it might be gone and there's nothing you can do about it. Can you control your spouse? I think I feel a little disturbance in the force right now out there. There seems to be a little bit of ambiguity on that one. But the correct answer is, let me tell you, say it out loud, no. You can pray for your spouse. You can love your spouse, but you can't control them. So first, give up control. And then second, take your worries to God. Take your worries to God. This is so crucial because as a general rule, as I said earlier, you can't get rid of worry by telling yourself, I should just worry less. It doesn't work that way. You just can't say, relax, and it happens. But the Bible talks repeatedly about this unbelievable connection between worry and prayer. I already read you 1 Peter 5, 7. Listen to it again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, that's prayer. And why can you do that? Well, because he cares for you. You see, every situation that's stressing you out, whether it's financial or your kids or your health or your retirement, you just take it to him and you cast it on him. I I read Philippians 4, 6 a few moments ago, and let me just sum that verse up, what it's telling us to do. It's this, the best way to worry about nothing is to pray about everything. You just pray about everything. And I want to clarify something about prayer. Praying doesn't mean you never feel worried. This is a huge misconception. See, the idea here is this. It's very simple. Please listen. Anytime you feel any anxiety, you just take it directly to God. You just tell God about it. And listen to this. Please understand, your job is not to make the anxious feelings go away. Your job is just to give God all your anxieties. And maybe those feelings go away, maybe they don't. But go back to step one. You don't have any control over that. You can't beat yourself up about that. You just take it directly to God. That's your job. And then number three, listen and respond. Key question, You cast all your anxiety on him, but then you followed up by saying, God, I know you're in control. I know there is a God and it's not me, it's you. But God, if there's any action that needs to be taken here, please show me because I want to take it. And it's an interesting thing how we can spend a hundred times more energy and time worrying about something we can't control rather than doing something positive. See, dealing with worry isn't passive. So where you need to act, act. The fourth step is never worry alone. You know, when anxiety grabs my mind, it's self-perpetuating and anxious thoughts, they start reproducing faster than rabbits. You think of one little worry, it spins out of control. What if this happens? What if that happens? And pretty soon you're worried about a meteor that's about to crash down on your house. And so make sure that you're in community with others who can give you perspective. This is part of why life groups are so important. They give you people to tell, hey, I'm anxious about this. Would you help bring me some perspective? And that can happen in any life group. But I want you also to know at Southwinds, we also provide some groups that specifically address this challenge. I want you to listen to this video about our Living Grace group. Hey, Southwinds. I'm Era Evans, and I facilitate an amazing life group called Living Grace. So many of us struggle silently with anxiety, depression, and other mental health difficulties. 
Sometimes we even isolate from our closest friends and family. And yet, God wants us to be in community with other believers. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 say, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Friends, I want you to know that you are not alone. Please don't suffer in silence anymore. There's a place for you and a group where you will be welcomed, loved, and accepted by other believers. We understand what you're going through, and you don't have to do this alone. Living Grace is a life group that's designed around our mental health challenges and our faith in Jesus. It's a 16-week life-changing study that uses scripture and science to teach practical tools, and these tools help us navigate the challenges that accompany living with a mental health disorder. Please reach out to me. I would love to give you more information about the group. We're currently meeting Wednesday evenings at 6.30 on Zoom. I pray that I will see you soon. Now, wherever you are with anxiety, make sure you're connecting with people who can help you. Make sure that your inner core of friends is healthy because again, both peace and fear are contagious. You know, if you surround yourself with fearful people, you'll live in anxiety. You surround yourself with people in the, who have peace in the midst of difficulty, uh, you, you share your worries with them, they'll give you perspective. But then there are those people, you know them, I mean, they're, they're like negaholic people. They, they just feed off negativity. And you know, you know this type. They're, they're the kind of people who, who brighten up a room every time they leave. And you have people like that. And those people need Jesus too. They need love too. And don't exclude them, but maybe just don't make them your inner core. Maybe be wise. The last thing is focus on God's love and care. You know, there's nothing more important than this. God wants us to stop obsessing about the future and trust that he holds the future. And when you seek the kingdom of God, uh, when you seek that over your kingdom, and when you do that in your present moment, what happens is that somehow he redeems your past, no matter how unchangeable it might seem. And at the same time, he also prepares you for the future, no matter how unpredictable. And I don't know how that happens, but what that precisely looks like, I just know what he's called me to do and what he's called you to do. And that is in this moment, today, to seek his kingdom above my own kingdom, to put him first. Because when I do that, everything else just kind of falls into place. You know, you really can shelter in peace as we all shelter in place. And I am praying that all of us will be growing in this more and more as we follow God's word. If you need help or if you need prayer, please don't hesitate to contact me or any of your pastors. We are here for you. We are here for you. Would you bow your heads together as we pray with each other, pray together. Father, we come before you today and Lord, you know the worries, the anxieties of our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would enable us to identify them and to see them for what they really are. And Lord, to fight them as you direct us. Lord, change our thinking, change our priorities. Help us to see you for who you are and to see life for what it really is, to see ourselves for who you are, to see your love, to see your care for us, Father. 
Lord, I pray especially for those who struggle with anxiety at significant levels that you would just come alongside them and wrap your arms around them, Lord, and comfort them and teach them and work with them as you change their hearts and you change their minds. And Lord, it may take time. It may take a long time. But we'll fight and we'll battle because we love you and we know you love us and we want to live with you in peace. Lord, that is our prayer. Set us free today by your power, by your love. We ask these things now in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And everyone, wherever you are, says amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. We're so glad that you're here. And I am praying that that God will take his word and he will just drive it deep into your heart and give you peace. We want to leave you with a a word of blessing right now. And I hope that you'll receive it and that it will encourage you. Uh, We'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday. So have a great week. Thanks for joining us.